0: Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we are going to be examining an article by what appears to be a Calvinist. The article is entitled An Examination of Open Theism, and it's by Greg Cantilmo. I don't know if I'm saying his last name right, Cantilmo. But uh, he seems to be a pastor of a church, and the church seems to believe in Calvinism And this seems like a Calvinist-centric article. And I came across this article in a very interesting way. I was on a Facebook group, and I was talking to this Calvinist. And of course, the Calvinist refused to answer any questions, was very dismissive, was very condescending, and would not just answer basic questions about the text of the Bible. So this Calvinist starts a new thread, and he tags me. Well, he says my name. He doesn't really tag me, but he says my name and he points me to a copy and paste of this article saying, you know, I do owe you a response, and here's my response. And he copies and pastes this guy's examination of open theism. And it's a pretty good consolidated, typical view against open theism. So it's a long article, but it does need response. So I've been spending a lot of my free time lately building a response to this, in uh, in a, in a form of an essay, really, I got maybe 13 pages so far, just a ridiculous amount of information on this. And you know, some of these texts I think would be good to be to put together in a book, responding to critics of open theism. You know, something like that. But Greg Cantemel, his article is worth a look. It is worth a read to see what kind of mindset that these anti-open theists come to, and, and it's a good consolidated list of their complaints with open theism. This article is found on Bible.org, which is actually a pretty good website for basic biblical study. You got real good scholarship about various books of the Bible, but then they have some of these articles out there just like attacking open theism, which is interesting because the scholarship on a lot of these articles are coming from not a conservative perspective necessarily. he starts his article basically going over a lot of the different attributes that he thinks is in jeopardy by open theism. Independence. And you know, what does he mean by this? And he quotes Wayne Grundem, and Grundem's a Calvinist, and we talk about this Calvinist understanding in other podcasts. But here's what he writes. He says, Grundem defines God's independence as, God does not need us or the rest of creation for anything. Yet we and the rest of creation can glorify him and bring him joy. Um, it's it's kind of self contradictory there. We could bring God joy, but God doesn't need us for anything. The idea of independence is classically, it, God needs nothing, not even our praise, not even our glory. But in the Bible, on the contrary, you find people in their dealings with God. I mean, go to our podcast on the Psalms. Often people bargain with God saying, you know, if I die, you're going to lose out on all this glory. They have cards. They have cards. God wants glory. God wants praise. God wants communion with man. This is the biblical view of God's dependence, independence. The Bible is not very big on these sorts of Greek concepts. Yeah, sure. God is more powerful than us. Sure. We can't like bring anything to God, like give him money. Here's some money, God. No, that doesn't work. But the Bible doesn't say that God's in this emotional void. And you'll have Calvinists like Grundem, and he's going to be proclaiming God's want of a relationship. At the same time, he's proclaiming God's immutability and impassibility. It doesn't work. It's a contradictory belief, and it's held by Calvinists. Cantelmo writes, Open theism teaches that God is dependent on the world in certain respects. You just said that we could glorify him and bring him joy. Okay, is that not dependency in your definition of dependency? You're going to make some sort of special exception for anything that open theist wants to say? Your views are self-refuting. He then talks about immutability, which is really funny because he just said that we could bring God joy. And joy is an emotion, and emotions are immutability. By definition, emotions are mutability. And he writes this, Classical theology defines God's immutability as, God is unchanging in his being, perfections, purposes, and promises. Yet God does act and feel emotions, and he acts and feels differently in response to different situations. Okay, and that's it's self-contradictory, but we'll keep rolling with that. When theism teaches God is, open to new experiences, has a capacity for novelty, and is open to reality, which itself is open to change. Trying to have it both ways, open theism says, God is immutable in his essence and in his trustworthiness over time, but other respects, God changes. What did you just do? What did you just do, Stu? You just tried to have it both ways as well. You're saying God isn't changing in all these things, except for he feels differently in response to different situations. In response to different situations, you just wrote, Every single paragraph you have written so far on attributes is self-contradictory. It doesn't make sense. Eternality. Classical theism states God has no beginning, end, or succession of moments in his own being, and yet he sees all time equally vividly, yet God sees events in time and acts in time. All right, he's got a little reference here, so I'm clicking on that, and that's going straight to Pinnock Systematic Theology. So he's quoting Pinnock on this. And uh, sure, I guess eternality is timelessness. Get me some quotes. I know Augustine definitely believed in God's eternality outside of timeness. But that's not like a super secure doctrine in the Christian church that everyone agrees with. Even Roger Olson says that it is just high speculation that God is timeless. It's not in the Bible. And it's been denied throughout history by various sects, even after the time of Augustine. And the appeals here, the appeals here that Cantelmo is trying to throw out, they're not appeals to the Bible. They're appeals to tradition. And that's going to be thematic in how he talks about these attributes, because these attributes are just not in the Bible. They're not in the Bible. He's forced to make these appeals to post-Augustinian And even, you know, people around the same time as Augustine, he makes appeals to their theology. And, you know, we've talked about this on and on and on, how much Augustine threw out the Bible in favor of his Platonism, self-admitted in his own confessions. He confessed to it. But this is ignored. This is ignored. This is assumed away. Oh, the open theists, they say that history is replete with Platonism corrupting the church, but we don't buy it. We don't buy it. It is in their own writings, in their own hand, confessing to it. Cantelmo goes on and quotes some more Pinnock. He says, open theism states that God is a temporal agent. He is above time in the sense that he is above finite experience and measurement of time, but he's not beyond before and after or beyond sequence of events. Scripture presents God as temporally everlasting, not eternally timeless. Clearly, God is temporally related to creatures and projects himself and his actions along a temporal path. And Cantep Melmo, he doesn't respond to these directly. He thinks that kind of just like stating them and saying, this doesn't uh, line up with classical theism. Uh, That is why we should reject these redefinitions of these negative attributes. And, Notice, Pinnock is the one appealing to the scripture. Where are the timeless scriptures? Where are those? When you turn to those, they're, they're normal proof texts for eternality, that God is outside of time. Reading their own proof texts counters their view. Their own proof texts is evidence against their view. God was, God is, and God will be. These are tense verbs about sequence, and duration. There is nothing in the Bible, nothing even suggesting that God is outside of time. It's a non-concept. The Jews didn't have this concept in their theological vocabulary. And And it took paganism, it took Plato and Plotinus to really solidify these ideas and morph them into Christianity. Cantelmo continues on, Omnipresence. Classical theology states that just as God is unlimited or infinite with respect to time, so God is unlimited with respect to space. Look at the terminology being here used here. God is unlimited with respect to space. Where the heck is that in the Bible? Where? Where where's a treatise about God being unlimited in space? You're not going to find that. That is not biblical theology, that's not biblical wording. But let's move on. God's omnipresence may be defined as God does not have size or spatial dimensions and is present at every point of space with his whole being, yet God acts differently in different ways. A leading proponent of open theism says, I do not feel obligated to assume that God is a purely spiritual being when his self-revelation does not suggest it. The only persons we encounter are embodied persons, and if God is not embodied, it may prove difficult to understand how God is a person. Embodiment may be the way in which the transcendent God is able to be imminent, and why God is presented in such terms. That's Pinnock he's quoting, and just listen to what is said. He's saying that in the Bible, it doesn't portray God as a purely spiritual being. And anyone who knows the basic plot of the Bible knows this is true. There's Jesus, who's God in the flesh. And you have various manifestations of God throughout the Bible, wrestling with people, walking in the garden. And this author, Elmo, he thinks that Pinnock is off his rocker. What do you think? Well, who do you think Jesus is? Who do you think Jesus is? God's just purely spiritual. There's no physical aspect to God. You're you're denying the Trinity. That's that's what you're doing. And here's a question no Calvinist is ever going to answer. It's a yes or no question. Was the physical part of Jesus divine? They're not going to answer the question because they don't think so. They do not think the physical part of Jesus was divine because because of their Platonism and they think that the material is the opposite of the spiritual and the material can't be spiritual at all. Paul says that we are going to be raised with spiritual bodies. In the Bible, the spiritual is not the enemy of the physical. In Gnosticism, it is. In Manichaeanism, there's this dualistic concept. In Platonism, the material is the enemy of the spiritual, but not in Christianity, not in Judaism. Let's go on. Unity. He's going to talk about unity. Unity. The unity of God in classical theology is defined as God is not divided into parts. God's not divided into parts. That's what this guy is claiming. And, you know, what does this mean? Yet we see different attributes of God emphasized at different time. This is also called in theology simplicity of God, meaning that God is not composed of parts and cautions against singling out of any one attribute of God as more important than others. God is pure simplicity. God has no parts, no nothing of God can be related to another part of God in any way because to do so would be to divide God into parts, and then he's not perfect unity. This is perfect being theology. this is Platonism. This comes straight out of the pages of Greek philosophy. You're not going to find this nonsense in the Bible. Yeah, the Bible says that God is one. But what that means is there's not a pantheon of various deities like you find in the Roman world or the Greek world. Instead, there's one supreme God and there's angels. There's other divine beings. But God is one. This is not some metaphysical nonsense of God being complete simplicity. And you see that in the Bible when God's interacting and dealing with creatures. And guess what? Guess what? This doctrine of unity, of simplicity, that is a strict denial of the Trinity. It's a strict denial of the Trinity. It's this pagan nonsense coming straight from pagan philosophy and just contradicts everything that we see in the Bible. But he is holding on to this as one of his... His key attributes that he loves, this simplicity that God has no parts. Complete nonsense, complete paganism, straight out of the pages of Platonism. Platonism. Of course, he relates this simplicity to God's emotions and God's uh, characteristics. Because if any characteristic can be related to any other characteristic of God, that creates parts. Pure simplicity, Let's remember Platonistic doctrine, Pure simplicity means that God cannot be related to anything in any way. Anyway, So if there's this divine trinity for all of eternity that communes with each other, that is not divine simplicity because different parts can relate to different things. But there's this pure substance, the one that's transcendent of all time, all of eternity, that's unchanging and immutable. And remember in Platonist theology, the world is spawned by the one looking in on itself in such a way that it, it, there's no change in the one because it's complete and immutability and passibility with zero parts. Complete paganism. You're not going to find that in the Bible. And here's the terrible thing that he quotes from Clark Pinnock. And Clark Pinnock writes this, let us not treat the attributes of God independently of the Bible, but view the biblical metaphors as reality depicting descriptions of the living God, whose very being is self-giving love. Oh, no, the horror, Clark Pinnock, who wants to read the Bible and the descriptions of God in the Bible as reality depicting. He doesn't want to take it in this like God just condescending and just throwing out things that don't actually apply to him. And then we have to interpret everything in the Bible in light of divine simplicity and immutability. Clark Pinnock wants to take the Bible at face value. And that is and that is his issue with Clark Pinnock. He is quoting Pinnock. Panic's pointing to the Bible. This should be a clear indication. This should be a clear indication to anyone listening that Calvinism is paganism. They do not point to the Bible. They don't reference the Bible, and they have a very strong contempt for the Bible. Now listen to this last one. Cantelmo starts talking about omnipotence. Classical theism defines God's omnipotence in reference to his own power to do what he decides to do, It it states, God's omnipotence means that God is able to do all his holy will. On the other hand, open theism states that we must not define omnipotence as a power to determine everything, but rather as the power that enables God to deal with any situation that arises. Pinnock openly states that God cannot just do anything he wants. When he wants to, his power can at least temporarily be blocked and his will will not be done in the short term. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves. And what will Calvinists say? They'll say, oh, it's de- it's violating God's, uh, you know, his declared will, but not his secret will. God secretly wants them to reject his will. And so they'll just try to skirt the issue. There's things on earth that happen not in accordance with God's will. And they'll just kind of sweep those under the table and they'll define omnipotence around those things but they won't do the same justice to open theists defining omnipotence around what open theists believe. There, there's this incredible double standard, and there's this incredible lack of intellectual integrity when these people like Kant-Elmo are approaching open theism. These guys would rather build straw men than deal with actual intellectual arguments. They'd rather build straw men than actually try to understand open theism in a gracious light. When you're dealing with people who are intellectual opponents of you, you want to try to understand what they say in the best possible light. And when in doubt, ask questions for clarification. Is there any record of this Count Elmo actually interacting with any open theist ever in his life? Or is he just building straw men in order to be ungracious and score a little political points with his listeners? Cantelmo then moves on to the history of open theism, and let's just read part of his first paragraph here. While it's viewed that open theism is a debate about divine foreknowledge, it is evident that open theism is a grand reworking of the historic and orthodox theology. Only a handful of God's attributes have been addressed thus far, but an historical and theological investigation of open theism shows that it is clearly a comprehensive and apparent paradigm of God. Yeah, when classical theism is claiming God's this pure simplicity, this perfect perfection of Plato, of Plotinus, yeah, you might need a little bit reworking of your theology if you want to bring it in line with the Bible. And this is not a controversial statement, except for these evangelical Calvinists who want to try to enforce their theology on the Bible. Normal biblical scholarship, critical scholarship, secular scholarship... These people understand that the Jewish concept of God is not Platonism. It's not Neoplatonic in origin or in thought. None of these attributes, they line up with the Bible. Kent Delmo writes, One of the problems for the traditional view is that no council or a numerical creed has ever condemned or ruled on the issue. Oh, isn't that convenient? Isn't that convenient? And what if they did? I would say screw off. I don't care what a bunch of people who around 300 AD, 300 years after Jesus and Paul walked the earth, what they said about theology because it's well documented that they were out of their minds nutbags. You know what their big controversy was, the Arian controversy? Whether God is the same substance or like substance as Jesus. That was their big controversy. That blood was spilled over. People were kicked out of churches. And the councils could have gone either way on it. But this is a Platonistic concern. You don't find this nonsense in the Bible. And that's what these church people were ruling on hundreds of years after the Bible. Why? Because they were indoctrinated in Greek thought. They had Greek concerns. They didn't have Jewish concerns. They didn't have Christian concerns. They were warped in this Neoplatonic worldview at that time. You, know, you just look at what their concerns were, you look at what they're dealing with, and it's all nonsense. Fast forward to Calvin and Servetus. Why was Servetus killed? Because Servetus had the same issues, They were concerned about the same nonsense. Uh, The substance of God, God being perfect immutability and perfection, and how that relates to Jesus. That was seriously their concerns. Their concerns were, if God is this pure perfection, simplicity, unity, then where does that put Jesus? Where does that put Jesus? And that question has reverberated in history. It didn't reverberate around the time of Paul, around the time of Jesus, around the time of the Twelve. It only reverberated once these Platonists came into the church and they said, oh, the divine has to be perfectly simple, so explain yourselves. And Paul said, no, no, hold your horses there. In Jesus, the divine dwelled fully. There's no difference between the material and the spiritual. They're not in opposition to each other. Jesus was fully embodied by the divine. So there's your answer. There's your answer. God is not pure simplicity, God's not pure actuality, God's not pure unity. Those are pagan concepts. It's nonsense. Cant Elmo goes on to criticize the history of Christianity and precedence. Are you a Catholic, Cant Elmo? Because last time I checked there's something called the Protestant Reformation, which took a corrupt church and brought it back to biblical roots. Are you a Catholic? Or do you think or do you acknowledge that the t- church can be inherently corrupted and there has to be a a revitalization to get away from adhorrent theology. If the Protestant Reformation taught us anything, it's to ignore what man says, read the Bible for ourselves, and understand the Bible, how it was written. You don't need some group of people ruling on something hundreds of years after Jesus to understand the words of Jesus, to understand the words of Paul. They have no authority over you, and you have no obligation to listen to them. They were very schismatic, there was a lot of opposition to the things they wrote, and they have zero authority over us today. But listen to Kant, and this is what he thinks refutes open theistic claims that Greek philosophy corrupted the Christian church. Carl Henry rightfully noted, It is true that medieval theologians were aware of the teachings of Greek philosophers in discussing God's immutability. They noted Plato's argument that change in a supremely perfect being constitutes corruption, deterioration, and loss of perfection. The fact is, however, the Hebrew Christian belief in God's immutability rose independently of Greek philosophy. It stemmed from revelational sources rather than from spe- speculative conjecture. Where's your evidence? Where is your evidence? Because we have Augustine talking about divine immutability. And talking about how he had to reject the words of the Bible that God spoke because God can't speak, because there's no befores and afters for God. And so, any speaking of God in the Bible is some creature on earth talking for God, like a parrot creature that's just mimicking eternal words because God cannot talk. And he said specifically that, you know, this divine immutability, that's one of the factors that kept him from believing the Bible until he was told to read the Bible in light of Platonism. It's pretty evident that immutability comes from Greek philosophy. There's nothing in the Bible about it. And where is this guy's evidence? And he, he cites what? Medieval theologians? Who does he mean? Aquinas? Is that who he's referencing? He's definitely not Augustine. What a Augustinian scholar is going to claim that Augustine was not... Thoroughly, thoroughly infatuated with Platonism. He writes all the time about how much he loves it, how much their theology is great. He was a Platonist before he came to Christianity, and he just loves it to death. All right, I just found the book by this guy. I found where this guy is quoting, and it's coming from Carl F.H. Henry, God, Revelation, and Authority. And I got the quote. Does this guy offer any evidence? Zero. Nothing. He offers no evidence for his assertions. And guess who he does cite? Oh, maybe my predictive powers are accurate. He cites Aquinas. Aquinas is nowhere around the time of Augustine, nor the, around the time of Neoplatonism. And the Christianity was long corrupted by the time of Aquinas. So he's just talking nonsense. And can't Elmo? He just quotes it and rolls with it because he wants to believe it. That's another thing that Calvinists do. They don't present evidence. They think that just saying something means it's true because they want to believe. It's like that poster, that alien poster, I want to believe. Let's listen to this uh, Can't Elmo guy's last paragraph. While open theists accuse the historic church of developing its theology from a philosophical bias, it seems that openness theology is far more philosophical position itself than a biblical one. What? What? And he's he's quoting Richard Rice. He quotes the Rices. He quotes the Penix. Where does he quote Boyd? Boyd has an entire appendix just going over the biblical material. Where does he quote Sanders? Where does he quote, if he was dealing with Michael Sayah, uh, you know, yeah, this guy would have a run for his money. But he's not familiar with these things. He doesn't care to read his opponents, he doesn't care to present them in accurate and generous light. He do, he doesn't do it. He's not interested in it because he wants Strawman. He wants something easy to smack down. And there's a lot of projection going on here, saying that open theists are the philosophical ones. There's going to be some philosophical open theists. There's going to be the Ords of the world, and there's going to be the Pennicks and even Rice for a lot. You know, they are philosophical, but just. Blanket categorizing all of open theism as just a philosophical viewpoint, that is not true to the text. Or else, or else, these canonical critics who are secular scholarship, they would not be talking as if Jewish theology was open theism. The neutral parties in this, the people who don't have those theological bias to either promote open theism or Calvinism, those people talk like open theists. He finishes off this paragraph with just these blanket accusations that open theists use philosophy. And what does he use for evidence? He says there's two books by InterVarsity Press in which Arminians debate Calvinists and the Arminians use philosophical positions. And he says these are the same positions that Open theists takes. He's quoting Arminians. What are you doing? Do you know how a rational argument is formed? Do you know how to make a case for something? You don't quote people who are not open theists to accuse open theism of philosophical reasoning. And probably what would be very helpful is a general survey of the question. There's a lot of open theists of the Gordon Olson tradition. There's a lot of open theists of the McCabe tradition. These people are not philosophers in any sense of the word. Sure, they'll use some philosophy from time to time, but they're not the pinnacles of the world. They're not the ords of the world. These people come to the Bible and want to believe the Bible. So quoting a couple sources and accusing all of open theism of philosophy, that's nonsense. All right, so we're going to kind of stop there for today, but this article goes on and on and on. And hopefully yesterday, which would be Thursday, but today it's Wednesday, so it's kind of tomorrow as well. I should be publishing a refutation of basically all of his article, except for what I just covered right now, which isn't the interesting part. The bulk of his article is more interesting than what we just covered. And so hopefully I could go over that with you next time on God is Open, but it's in print and it's published on God is Open already for you to go read and see that this guy just doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't make very good arguments. He doesn't support his arguments very well. And this is a typical, typical way of thinking. And and these Calvinists, the Calvinists who sent this to me, he thinks these are good arguments, which tells you something about their mindset. As always, if you have any questions or comments about this podcast, feel free to put them on the God is Open webpage or start a thread on the God is Open Facebook companion page. Thank you for listening.